The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey, friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Another terrorist attack at yet another concert hall. Are concerts safe anymore? Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Tuesday, May 23rd, it is uh, The Bill Press Show. How about it? Great to have you on board today. We've got lots to talk about. As always, that's what we do for the next two hours, bring you up to date on the news of the day. With uh, our own uh, comments from uh, a progressive point of view, of course. Your comments from mostly from a progressive point of view uh, on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, and our guests joining us, of, as always, uh, best people we can round up on the big issues of the day. We put it all together. It's called The Bill Press Show, and it's good to have you part of it coming out to you at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show from our studio on Capitol Hill right here in Washington, D.C. Even with uh, the president out of town, uh, there is a lot going on uh, at the Capitol uh, and, of course, uh, and the agencies. And uh, big more news breaking yesterday uh, about uh, Donald on domestic matters, about Donald Trump trying to cover up the Russian investigation and Michael Flynn rejecting, refusing the subpoena request from the Senate Intelligence Committee, which means that's going to heat up even more. They could find him in contempt of court or contempt of Congress, I guess is the term. We'll get into all of that again. Look forward to hearing from you on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All right, here we go. This is a heartbreaking story. The Norwegian Refugee Council took a look at how many people were displaced in 2016. A new study, uh, the Norwegian Refugee Council uh, took a look at all of the people who were internally displaced in 2016 due to crises, crises of violence, conflicts, or disaster. And more than 31 million people were forced what? to flee their homes in 2016. 31 million people had to leave. They were displaced. Now, this is due to a lot of different reasons. In uh, the Congo, 922,000 people left because of violence. 824,000 in Syria. And, of course, natural disasters displaced lots of people uh, in the year 2016. When you look at it, all told... 
about one person every second is displaced from their home in America or in the, in the world. One place yeah. they can't come in a lot of cases is here in America because of President Donald Trump. That is stunning. Isn't that but, crazy? You know, I have to tell you, God, my heart goes out to those people. Every time I see any video of those refugee camps, wherever they happen to be on the globe, those, the conditions there are so, so severe, so tough. Man, I can't, yeah. I can't imagine. And some people, like in the Congo, they get into these camps, you know, no water, no food, no shelter, and they're there for years. Yeah, yeah, it's, Think it's of the terrible. kids, particularly. Oh, God. Yesterday in the New York Times, a guest columnist appeared. It was none other than Monica Lewinsky. She bid her farewell to Roger Ailes. She said that, uh, quote, my character, my looks, my life were picked apart mercilessly, end quote, not only by Roger Ailes, but by the culture that he created. So she said, hopefully this isn't just an obituary for him, but an obituary for the culture he pervade, a culture that affected me profoundly and personally, is how she put it. Okay. I don't I don't pick up the New York Times or anything else to hear anything Monica Lewinsky has to say. And yesterday... Uh, it, I mean, she's portraying herself as a victim. I mean, maybe she was, but I don't know. I, I think, think she makes a good point about Roger Ailes about and what Roger, she did she and, and what the media has become. Regardless of the messenger, I think she's absolutely right. In San Diego, there was a baseball game where a drone crashed, Bill. A drone crashed in the middle of the San Diego Padres in an Arizona Diamondbacks game. This was on Sunday. Next time you go to a game, just look out. I'm telling you, I saw a drone over Washington Square in New York over the weekend. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. All right, here we go on a Tuesday, May 23rd. So good to see you today. How about it? Hope you had a great Monday. We continue now with the news of the day for this Tuesday uh, from not only here in our nation's capital. That's where you find us uh, in our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., just down the street from the United States Capitol building. Uh, we've got Washington covered. We've also got the Middle East covered. That's where the president is, uh, his second day in uh, Israel and the Palestinian territory before he heads off to meet with the Pope tomorrow in Rome. So we'll take a look at that, like a look at the stuff, uh, latest news here from Washington. Tell you what's going on and um, get your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, we're going to be talking to the uh, International Legal Council for Human Rights First about President Trump's uh, widespread use of drones, even, it looks like, exceeding President Obama's record number use of drone strikes. Rita Simeon will be here uh, in the next half hour. Uh, then uh, in the next hour, Ben Wickler from Move On with the latest on the resistance and what's going on across the country to resist the policies of Donald Trump, followed by Congressman Tim Ryan, a dynamic congressman from Ohio, on the latest on the Congress to keep up with uh, Donald Trump as well and to block his efforts to roll things back. So we've got a good lineup for you today, a great lineup for you today, and uh, we're coming to you, of course, as always, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on Free Speech TV, 
out in the Chicago area on the great WCPT. Hello, Chicago. And we are, remember now, on Patreon. Patreon.com, something very, very special and a good reason, if you haven't already done so, to join us with your modest little monthly subscription fee on Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So many of you have so far, for which we're very grateful. Special reason, <coughs> pardon me, to do so right now, and that is uh, just right after the show today, we are going to be um, sitting down uh, with Barry Lynn, the Reverend Barry Lynn, who is executive director of Americans United, great organization, Americans United for Separation of Church and State. You got it. And talk to Barry about why these evangelicals are cozy, did cozy up to Donald Trump during the campaign, uh, this great sinner, Donald Trump, and why they're supporting him now. What, uh, what, what's that unusual relationship? I mean, there he goes down and gives a commencement address at Liberty University. Uh, and, um, and, and also talk to Barry about Donald Trump's pretended mission to unite the people of all faiths uh, on this uh, first foreign trip of his. We're going to be doing a lot of these types of things, but this is our first live stream on Patreon. That's, yes. So you've got to go sign up. you got to do it today because we're going to do it right after the show, and uh, you'll be able to watch it live. Just you, if you contribute at the $10 level. <coughs> we're doing all kinds of stuff. So check it out. There you, oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> at patreon.com. Uh, yes, indeed. Let's start with uh, the president in the uh, in the Middle East. He has um, uh, 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 did the typical things yesterday uh, in terms of s- not just tourists, but um, paying respect to um, the traditions uh, in Israel uh, and the places that um, are important to visit to um, get the sense of what's going on in that troubled part of the world, the president yesterday, going to the Western Wall, uh, as all presidents, have, the most, all the recent presidents anyhow have done, and leaving a little prayer there in a chink in the wall. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, you know, he says the right things. I, I hate to be too critical, but well, let's listen to him first. I was deeply moved by my visit today to the Western Wall. Words fail to capture the experience. It will leave an impression on me forever. Somebody wrote those words for Donald Trump. It will leave an impression on me forever. It's not Donald Trump, right? You know, It's a Stephen now, Miller joint. It, it feels like it. I think the Jared Kushner line. Yeah. Somebody right. pointed out, you know, you write a little prayer on the paper and you slip it into the crack in the wall. Someone on Twitter said... They heard that he just put the electoral map in inside oh, uh, a copy of the electoral map inside no, the wall. No, he just put the number three hundred six. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh God. Uh, you know, you just hear him in a moment like that, and you just say, "He's just saying what somebody's telling him to, to say." It, you know? He he didn't look well <laughs> on this leg of the trip. Like he looked exhausted and zoned out and very low energy he leaned against the wall he did he like leaned against the wall for I support. thought he was taking a nap there for a little while but he didn't look well no anyhow but now I want to as critical as we are I want to I want to give the guy credit for for one thing yes you heard me right uh, maybe the first time in the history of this program in the last five months I want to give Donald Trump credit for one thing that he 
by going to Israel and then going to the Palestinian territories and telling Bibi Netanyahu, which he did yesterday, that if you really want peace in this region, if you really want to get the Arab countries that he met with the day before, the leaders of the Arab countries, together with Israel and the United States against Iran, the threat of Iran, then Netanyahu has got to make a serious effort to make peace with the Palestinians and the Palestinians. You know, that has to be their priority. And let, let's be honest, that has not been Bibi Netanyahu's priority. George Bush didn't make him do it. Well, I'm no, Donald Trump can't make him do it. But George Bush let him get away without doing it, and so did Barack Obama. And if i got to say, if Donald Trump can knock heads together and certainly can knock some sense into the head of Bibi Netanyahu that he's got to stop obstructing and destroying the, the peace process and destroying the, the prospect of peace in the Middle East. If he can get Bibi to really make some concessions on territory and seek a two-state solution with, um, with um, uh, the Palestinian territory and President Abbas, then I say, you know, good, good for Donald Trump. Uh, that's what he is talking about. Whether he can pull it off, I'm very skeptical, but the fact that he's made that a priority, uh, I think, is important. Uh, this is the way that, uh, that uh, Trump put it yesterday, expressing perhaps a little bit too much optimism about peace is, uh, is on its way. I've heard it's one of the toughest deals of all, but I have a feeling that we're going to get there eventually, I hope. And when he went into Bethlehem to meet with President Abbas, uh, Donald Trump again said this was the mission and the, um, and the goal of President Abbas. President Abbas assures me he is ready to work toward that goal in good faith. And Prime Minister Netanyahu has promised the same. Right. A lot of promises there, but the, uh, the goal is correct. The mission is correct. Uh, the first moves are correct to visit both capitals and to talk to both leaders. And again, Donald Trump makes that a priority. Uh, let's just hope that uh, uh, he can, whatever I think about Donald Trump, let's hope he can succeed. Um, I doubt it. That's nice of you to say. Well, you know, other people have broken their pick. But, sure. But if, you know what, I, what, what really bothers me is people who just kiss B.B. Netanyahu's ass, and everybody does it. And uh, Donald Trump is not doing it. Did you see so. the awkwardness? Because, of course, the the intelligence that Donald Trump shared with the Russians came <laughs> from Israel, which is a little dicey. Yeah, I was just going to go, go ahead. Yeah. A and yeah. Trump, when they had this little meeting, right, all these people started shouting questions. And Trump had everybody, yeah. shush, 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 be quiet. And he just goes, by the way, I never mentioned Israel. <laughs> Yeah, but like that's like that's hardly the point, dude. No, exactly. The point was nobody said that he mentioned Israel, right? What he did do was share the intelligence with the Russians that we had received from Israel exclusively on conditions that we don't share it with anybody else. Certainly, without getting Israel permission, otherwise we would blow Israel's intelligence system and the on-the-ground intelligence, God. the human, they call it that Israel has in Syria. Yeah, here you are, Peter, as you, as you pointed out, uh, Donald Trump, in, insisting, never, never, never said it. Never mentioned it during that conversation. They were all saying I did. 
So you had another story wrong. Never mentioned the word Israel. Yeah, no, that was that wasn't the question of Mr. Uh, President. That wasn't the question. So dumb. Uh -uh. That should fix it. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, here at home, uh, Donald Trump, uh, not without uh, again, he may leave the United States. He can run, but he can't hide. Uh, The uh, the Russian investigation continues now under a special counsel and the investigative reporting as to what really happened. Uh, continues here in the United States. The Washington Post out with another bombshell today about Donald Trump's efforts to cover up the investigation. Remember, we learned last week that he uh, invited uh, FBI Director James Comey to stay around after a meeting of intelligence chiefs broke up in the Oval Office. And at that point, he asked James Comey to drop the investigation, uh, saying, you know, Flynn's a good guy. Uh, can't you let up on him? Can't you uh, just uh, put this investigation to bed? James Comey thought that was inappropriate. He refused to do so. And he came back and uh, made up a little, uh, wrote up a few notes about that meeting so he would be sure to have a good memory of it, those notes which have somehow found their way into the hands of the Washington Post. The Washington Post now reporting that in addition to that attempt, and by the way, that's that's the one that really, really blew up last week in Donald Trump's face, where you had Republicans, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, as well as Democrats like Dick Durbin and others saying, and uh, Richard Blumenthal up in Connecticut, that this was obstruction of justice and should be investigated as such obstruction of justice. Our good friend, uh, Congressman Tim Ryan, uh, coming in a little bit later in the program here in the studio, uh, had made the same charge. Well, it looks like we find out, rather, from today's Washington Post, that was not the only attempt at cover-up on the part of Donald Trump. He also called the director of national intelligence, DNI chief uh, Daniel Coates, and he also called the director of the NSA, the National Security Agency, Admiral Michael Rogers, and he asked them to come out and to push back against the, the um, investigation into possible collusion between his campaign and the Russian government. Uh, he made separate appeals to each of them, urging them to publicly deny the existence of any evidence of, conclusion, of collusion. The White House is always trying to say that. Anybody who knows anything about this denies us any evidence, when in fact the investigation is still ongoing. And... Both Daniel Coates and Admiral Rogers told the president they would not do so. They thought that was not an appropriate request on the part of the president of the United States. They refused to do so. Uh, So Donald Trump's – so there are three attempts now we've seen, three individuals where he tried to obstruct justice and interfere with, block, end an official government investigation – into possible collusion between his operation and the Russian government. When are we going to see the uh, <laughs> impeachment hearings begin? You know, to me, th- I mean, That's bad. That's it's this is really stuff. bad. Yeah. And every day he just keeps building the case for obstruction of justice. Now, the collusion thing. I mentioned this before. The collusion thing. I'm not sure that Donald Trump will will ever be tied directly to the collusion with Russia. I don't. I don't know about that. We haven't found. Uh, I do think some of his people. Were. I know some of his people were. And we now know that there is a person of interest. Yeah. 
inside the White House. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. the Oval Office. Yeah, and don't know who it is. The, I got a feeling. I got a feeling. Yeah, I got a feeling. <laughs> but so, like, whether or not that's the case with Trump, we'll let that play out and we'll see. But he is clearly trying to obstruct justice. No doubt. Whether or not you believe he he personally colluded with Russia, he's trying to influence the investigation. And that is, I mean, he could get in just as much trouble for that, you know? And that's where I, I think you hang him. Yeah. Uh, and so Donald Trump knows he's in trouble on this score. Uh, in fact, we learned yesterday uh, that, um, boy, this is so deja vu all over again. Uh, like Richard Nixon and like Bill Clinton, one of them was impeached and the other one resigned rather than be impeached. Donald Trump, uh, guilty of cover-up, has decided to lawyer up. And it has been confirmed that Donald Trump, in addition to interviewing, <laughs> uh, I, I ran into a former Justice Department official last night at an event here in Washington, and he was talking about Donald Trump doing these interviews. And I thought he was talking about the interviews he was doing with FBI director. No, in addition to the interviews that Donald Trump was doing for the next FBI director, uh, he is also doing interviews for his next lawyer. He is going to hire outside counsel. Some big names in Washington, D.C. Uh, Peter, you were looking at them this morning. Yeah. Uh, just we may not so recognize They're not Mark Kazowitz, Robert Jufara, uh, Reed Weingarten, and Theodore B. Olson. You might remember... Of those names, Theodore B. Olson was former Solicitor General of the United States. Ted Olson, yeah. Uh, Ted Olson is the one who went down to Florida and fought the fight there successfully, uh, I regret to say, for George W. Bush in the recount. Uh, it was also Ted Olson who was um, one of the two attorneys. He was a Republican, uh, the Democrat. David um, Boyce. David Boyce, who took the same-sex marriage case all the way to Supreme Court and won that great victory for marriage equality. So Olson is a powerhouse, yeah. a real powerhouse. He's on that list. The others are in the legal community. People in the legal know those names and know these are really outstanding. So, But listen, the idea that a president of the United States is hiring outside counsel to defend himself against an FBI investigation speaks volumes about how much trouble Donald Trump is in. So make make no mistake about it, uh, particularly with Robert Mueller on the job right now, um, the Russian investigation uh, is not going to go away. And I think Donald Trump's attempts for cover-up are gone. Right? Yeah. They, they didn't work, and they're gone. Uh, he, so he was trying to stop the investigation, partly to help his buddy, Michael Flynn, Michael Flynn, um, whom uh, Donald Trump was warned, we found out yesterday it was not only Barack Obama who warned Donald Trump not to hire Michael Flynn, but Chris Christie. In fact, maybe that's why Christie didn't get a job and Michael Flynn did. Chris Christie up in New Jersey yesterday um, uh, at just a news conference with the New Jersey reporters saying, <laughs> I told Donald not to hire him. I didn't think that he was someone who would bring benefit to the president or to the administration. And I made that very clear to candidate Trump, and I made it very clear to President-elect Trump. Wow. Uh, yes. And Chris Christie said, in fact, I wouldn't even allow him in the front door. Yeah, because he's not my cup of tea, Michael. Oh, Michael. 
I mean, you know, if I were president, I get to decide who comes in and who doesn't. I mean, you could go on a tour if you wanted to. That's what I said. I said, if I were president, I wouldn't have let General Flynn... Well, that's not my choice. It's the president's choice. I wouldn't have let him in the White House. Well, yeah, it's nice. It's not my cup of tea, Michael. He can take a tour if he wants. It's nice that Chris Christie got his <laughs> balls back. I know. I know. Trump must have given them back now, to him. That's the part of Chris Christie I like. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen that like in a that. while. No, no, yeah. I wouldn't have let General Flynn. Well, that's not my choice. It's the president's choice. <laughs> At any Damn. rate. But Flynn, on his part, he is digging in his heels. You know, last week, the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, chaired by Republican Richard Burr and Democrat Mark Warner, uh, they issued a subpoena asking uh, Michael Flynn for all the documents uh, related to his contacts with Russia and I believe also with Turkey, his lobbying efforts, because it's the fact that he did not disclose all the money he was making for Turkey uh, to, uh, to, to the military um, I'm, I'm not to, in his financial report that originally got Michael Flynn in trouble. We do know that Michael Flynn had told, he says at least, he had told uh, Donald Trump and the people around him about that money, and they hired him anyway as National Security Advisor. At any rate, uh, that subpoena was issued by the Senate Intelligence Committee last week for Michael Flynn. Yesterday, Michael Flynn said, no, I am not to comply. I'm not going to comply with that subpoena. I will not hand over those documents. I'm going to take the Fifth Amendment um, rather than incriminate myself. Instead, the Senate Intelligence Committee, I talked to a member of the committee last night at this event I mentioned. Um, he would not tell me how he would vote, but the Senate Intelligence Committee will vote this week whether or not to hold Michael Flynn in contempt of Congress or to allow him to uh, take the Fifth and to, uh, and to slide. Uh, that Taking the fifth, um, well, um, <clears throat> why would you take the fifth, huh? Maybe Donald Trump had something to say about, remember, last September. Like you see on the mob, right? You see the mob takes the fifth. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Every... As I think it was Jamie who said yesterday. The other, there's a there's a tweet or a quote from Donald Trump on everything. Yeah, that contradicts exactly what's going on today. Yeah, every everything. Um, I moderated a debate last night on the Electoral College. Whether or not we should get rid of the Electoral College or keep it, right? We've talked about that on the program. Mm. It's a debate in front of a program at the Library of Congress. Uh and I said, this is a, a topic on which um, people have been talking about this topic for a long time. And it's a topic on which people can change their mind. I said, for example, and I went back to 2012 at 11.45 p.m. on November the 6th, 2012. A very famous businessman tweeted out, the Electoral College is a disaster for our democracy. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I didn't have to tell them who that successful businessman was. Perfect. I think he has a little different point of view about the Electoral College today. Yeah. Mm. I would think so. 306. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. And so we'll see what happens to Michael Flynn is the point there. And the budget. The budget comes out today. Donald Trump's budget. We haven't, we haven't seen the whole thing yet, but a little bit of it leaked out yesterday. 
Michael Mulvaney, the uh, budget director, is giving a briefing today at the White House at 11 a.m. Uh, so he's giving a briefing, even though the president's out of town. Uh, this budget is a $3.6 trillion budget uh, with a whole bunch of cuts, cuts in Medicaid particularly, cuts in – no, I'm sorry. It's a $4.1 trillion budget. <laughs> Bigger than I thought. $4.1 trillion budget unveiled today with deep, deep cuts in Medicaid, food stamps, every anti-poverty program, and the Children's Health Fund, the CHIP program, cut 20%. Uh, the Pentagon, of course, gets a big, fat, I think, 10 or 15% increase. $800 billion from Medicaid yeah. is what they're asking. $192 billion from nutritional assistance. Right. So nutritional assistance, basically food stamps. Food stamps. Yeah. Uh, $272 billion from welfare programs across the board. I mean, that's that's just inhumane. That gets to who, you know, I think it's the Reverend Jim Wallace, who we've had on the show many times, who said before, a president's budget is a moral document. Absolutely. And that shows who they are as a leader, who they are as a, per- who they are as a person, and what they stand for. Yeah. And we're turning our backs on people who need help. That's what this budget says. Right. And, and by the way, turning our backs on the poorest of the poor, the people who need help the most, uh, the people who are struggling, you know, this is these are not just handouts. 72, they do need some assistance. $72 billion for disability benefits. There you go. Gone. And, and, the majority of those people, or a not just majority, I think, but maybe even not, but a huge number of those people are the people who voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. In this budget, Donald Trump screws his base, screws his supporters, and gives all the money to. Well, here's who gets uh, the most of the increase: a ten percent increase to the military, uh, as if the Pentagon doesn't have the need for cuts itself or to get rid of a lot of the waste over there, and $2.6 billion for border security, including $1.6 billion to begin work on a wall on the border <laughs> with Mexico. So they'll cut $800 billion out of Medicaid, but $1.6 billion goes to building the wall uh, with Mexico. We'll have more on that budget uh, tomorrow, but it is a uh, draconian uh, document. Uh, remember, the president's budget very seldom passes Congress in the shape in the same form it goes up to Congress. But still, what it says, Peter, as you point out, it, it talks about those. These are Donald Trump's priorities. Yeah. These are his values, and this is, a, I believe, an immoral, immoral document. What is going on in the area of drones, human rights? Human Rights First is a great organization. Rita Simeon's our international legal counsel. She'll join us next to tell us all about it here. Stay with us on this Tuesday, May 23rd. Don't forget, if you haven't already done so, now's a good time to sign up for Patreon, patreon.com, so you can uh, follow our live broadcast with um, Barry Lynn. Yeah, about 9.15 Eastern Time today. Right after the program. Lock her up. That's right. 
the latest member of the Young Turks Network, live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. What do you say on a Tuesday, May 23rd? Good to have you with us on the Bill Press Show as we uh, tackle the big stories of the day, the big issues of the day from our studio here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Brought to you today by the International Brother, by the Labor, sorry, International Brother. <laughs> Let's try it again. The Labor's International Union of North America. They're all brothers and sisters, but that's the official name. Uh, it's uh, They go by the nickname Liuna, L-I-U-N-A, under President Terry O'Sullivan, the great members of the Labor's Union. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and direct you to their website, liunabuildsamerica.org. A lot of... Uh, it, it's interesting, you know, that I find we talked a lot about the use of drones under President Obama and how he had really uh, escalated the number of drone attacks compared to those under George W. Bush. Um, But nobody is talking about, I haven't heard much at any rate, about what's going on under President Donald Trump. Um, Well, we want to find out, and Rita Simeon joins us from the International, she's the International Legal Counsel for Human Rights First. Hi, Rita, nice to see you. So is um, Donald Trump continuing or escalating what President Obama did in terms of the use of drones? I think it's probably a little bit too early to see uh, if it's going to be a, a pure just continuation of the, the policies of the Obama administration or if we're going to see an escalation. Uh, what we do know so far is that there have been uh, reports of civilian casualties, both from drone strikes and uh, ground operations under the Trump administration, some very troubling reports in the first few months uh, during this administration. And then also we've seen reports that there's some um, consideration about rolling back or weakening some of the standards and procedures that have been put in place over the last um, decade and especially um, uh, four years ago today, actually, uh, by the Obama administration to... Is it that long ago that they were put in place? Yeah, remember that. Yeah, so exactly. You know, four years ago uh, today, President Obama gave a big counterterrorism speech in which he announced (laughs) that the day before he had signed uh, new policy guidance and standards on the use of force, particularly uh, rules that applied outside what his administration called areas of active hostilities. And these these rules were designed basically to uh, bridge a gap between you know, those who thought the laws of war should apply in those areas and those who thought that law enforcement or human rights standards for lethal force should apply to make sure that, it, you know, we were able to cooperate with our allies and partners on the ground, that we weren't losing the support and cooperation of local populations, um, were able to gain access to intelligence that we needed, um, and that we weren't conducting strikes in a way that got us sort of kicked out of these Uh, other countries. Well, I remember this debate well because I go to the White House briefings and during that time, before that, before this day, four years ago, um, there was a lot of uh, controversy and uh, and because there was so much secrecy on the part of the Obama White House about how many drone strikes, uh, who was making the decisions, 
and what the impact had been and what were the rules of engagement. Uh, and we kept pressing and pressing, you know, for, and, and, um, and then finally the administration did come out and say, okay, we have adopted these new rules. So they've been in place for four years. That, That's right. Right, right. That's right. So it, it doesn't certainly doesn't prohibit the use of them, but it limits their use to, to what, kind of a, a, a more humane, <laughs> kinder, gentler drone strikes <laughs> well it, I, it the idea is not to be sort of like soft on terrorism right it was meant it it's meant to make sure that operations can be sustainable um, so you know the rules don't actually go as far as what human rights advocates would like right they don't actually comply with human rights law uh, for using force outside of armed conflict areas what they do require are um, near certainty of no civilian casualties Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very uh, strict standard that goes beyond what would be required under the laws of war. Um, But it's designed to make sure that we are sort of winning hearts and minds, as they say, um, and not uh, losing the the larger um, battle uh, because of harm to civilians. And then also limit strikes to when there is what they call a continuing imminent threat to U.S. persons. So... Um, not not just someone who's a member of a terrorist organization, for instance, but they have to actually show that that person uh, poses a threat to U.S. persons. All right. And who is conducting these drone strikes? What what is it the CIA or the Pentagon? So under the Obama administration, there was a, a an effort to transfer strike authority to DOD and basically to get the you know mm-hmm. CIA out of the drone business. Um, you know, there's been some conflicting reports on how far the Obama administration actually got with that effort. And sort of part of what we've been seeing under the Trump administration is uh, sort of a pushing back down of authority to DOD and possibly to CIA as well uh, for giving permission to conduct certain types of strikes rather than requiring approval at the National Security Council or, the, or by the president uh, himself. Um, that's, that's a slightly different question from whether it's DOD or CIA that does it. And there hasn't been a whole lot of accurate reporting on where things are at in the Trump administration as far as getting the CIA out of the drone uh, business, as was and, and the effort that was underway under the previous administration. There hasn't been, there hasn't been any transparency in under, I, I, from what I've seen, under George W. Bush or Barack Obama or Donald Trump about this whole drone warfare. So, of course, we'd like to see quite a bit more transparency. You know, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd like to know who's ordering the strikes, how many there are, and, and you know, reporting on them every day. But right. So there's why not? There's some reporting, um, and it differs depending on where the strikes occur. So if the strikes are done by the Department of Defense and they're conducted in sort of a traditional war zone, war zone type setting like Afghanistan. Um, There is some daily reporting on those kinds of operations. For operations outside areas of active hostilities, the ones that this um, policy guidance that we're talking about uh, apply to, what the Obama administration did was they uh, required annual reporting in sort of this lump aggregate number of how many strikes and how many deaths and loosely um, giving a range of how many of those deaths were considered to be combatants and how many were considered to be non-combatants. Um, but of course, it's very difficult to assess the accuracy of that data when it's one sort of lump number. Yeah, yeah at the end of the year, they just say, oh, here are all the drone strikes we had. 
And in, in terms of civilian casualties, I mean, there are, it's impossible to avoid those, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know. You, you, you just hear so many reports of you know, um, people gather for a marriage or something, and they make a mistake, and they blow up the marriage hall or 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 people meeting in a house and other people who happen to be in the house, servants or, or you know, just neighbors in the area. Yeah, so, I mean, there, there are different ways that um, civilian harm can occur. I mean, what you're describing uh, is more like when they sort of make a mistake, right? So they yeah. either, you know, target the wrong person or target Oops. the wrong location um, versus sort of civilian harm that can occur where they – they may know that there are civilians in the area that may be killed, but they make an assessment under the laws of armed conflict that those deaths would be proportionate in relation to the military advantage gained. And so that's why it's really important to get it right in terms of which rules apply. Are you applying those wartime rules that allow for proportionate civilian harm, or are you applying uh, human rights law enforcement standards, um, which have a much higher bar for when, you know, sort of it wouldn't be called a civilian, but basically the unintended um, targets may be harmed by the operation. But even so, that sort of debate about which rules apply aside, the Obama administration had made an assessment that, you know, harming people that weren't the intended targets is, um, you know, really significant consequences for the worse for our counterterrorism operations. Right. But, but that's I'm not a, sure if I can I'm going to play that bite if we can't hear that. I'm not sure that Donald Trump has the same priority. Um, here is something he said. Jamie, that was uh, back in December 2015. Thank you. December 2015. Donald Trump uh, talking to Fox and Friends in the morning. When you get these terrorists, you have to take out their families. They they care about their lives. Don't kid yourself. But they say they don't care about their lives. You have to take out their families. Uh, what does that say about civilian casualties? Yeah, I mean, so that target that, them is what that says. You know, targeting family members of suspected terrorists is clearly unlawful. Right, you, including in an armed conflict, that would be unlawful um, to target them intentionally. And what the Trump administration. Uh, really needs to be aware of and that hopefully those like Secretary Mattis are uh, impressing upon President Trump or what's in, you know, this letter that national security experts wrote um, to Secretary Mattis back in March uh, describing the kinds of uh, standards that should be in place for targeting. Um, What they really emphasized was that harming civilians, whether you know, the deaths were lawful as part of, you know, proportional deaths in armed conflict mm-hmm. or not. It's really significant strategic consequences for our operations. It makes allies less likely to cooperate with us, less likely to yeah. get permission for our operations, less likely to share intelligence, less likely to hand individuals over to us. Um, and we've got to keep that in mind to make sure that we're going to be able to um, continue to conduct operations in the future. Not to, not to mention that it alienates a lot of people from the, exactly. against the United States. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, you know, I, we've said this a lot. Barack Obama and the Obama administration sort of, I think, paved the way for a guy like Donald Trump to misuse or use drone warfare way too much. But it's interesting to hear you say that there's like a calculated decision that they know sometimes that civilians will get killed. But when they when when they when they bomb like this, whether or not it's you know uh, targeting those civilians, but the, the fact that Trump is saying he's targeting or he would target those civilians, I think is um, way farther than Barack Obama ever went. Yeah, so I mean, I don't think that there you're going to find someone at the Department of Defense who's going to agree 
to violate the laws of war so clearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. They're just mm-hmm. they're not going to agree to that. So that sort of campaign rhetoric. That's nice. That's actually really, calming. Right. So that, I don't think that's really <laughs> I don't think that's really where the real problem is. I think mm. sort of, as you say, the Obama administration in some ways sort of paved the way um, by applying the rules that they did to al- allow some room for abuse. Yeah. So even even setting aside this, you know, intentional targeting of, of people mm-hmm. who are not combatants, um, we still have a problem with making sure that our strikes comply with international law. And that goes to, you know, where can you apply wartime rules and where can you not apply mm-hmm. wartime rules? So um, I, th- I, I asked this question to begin with. I just want to come back to it. In terms of numbers of strikes, I know I forget the numbers. I've written columns about this, but Obama vastly escalated the number of strikes from what George W. Bush had done, uh, and Donald Trump is beyond that, or roughly in the same range, or do we know yet? But yeah. the, the drone strikes certainly continue, but again, have they been stepped up, or do we know? Yeah, so I I don't think we have a clear sense of whether there's a a significant increase in the number. As you say, there was a significant increase under Barack Obama. And part of that, you you can imagine, is, you know, was a policy uh, choice to rely on that particular tool. Um, But also it just has to do with when the technology became available and um, accessible and affordable um, just sort of during the course of the Obama administration. You know, 20 years ago, drones just weren't a readily available um, tool. And the the sort of confluence of the availability of that tool and the threat posed by sort of transnational terrorist actors uh, creates the sort of perfect storm of an assault on the international legal framework um, that is designed to constrain the use of force, both sort of by state, you know, constrain states from using force across national borders, and also to constrain law enforcement and other government officials from using lethal force against individuals. That framework um, has a lot of pressure on it. Are the rules of this of this letter that you referenced? Are the rules for the use of drones, drones rather? Are they online? I mean, can people are they accessible? Are they public knowledge? Could people go to your website or to some government website and find out exactly what rules we're operating under? Yeah. So the presidential policy guidance, which President Obama announced on May 23rd, 2013, that he had signed the previous day. Um, at the time, they released just uh, you know two and a half page fact sheet that sort of summarized the standards that were in place for outside areas of active hostilities. And then as a result of litigation, they eventually released the full, you know, 19 to 20 page policy guidance. So that both of those, that both the fact sheet summary and the full guidance that was previously classified are both available now um, online for folks to Where? reference. Where? Um, so if you do a Google search of presidential policy guidance, uh, May 22nd, 2013, it'll pop, it'll pop right up. Okay. All right. Now I want to move a little bit beyond that. Um, in the last few weeks, Donald Trump has entertained at the White House President al-Sisi from Egypt, who is notorious for the most repressive regime in modern Egyptian history at any rate. Um, President Erdogan of Turkey, who has uh, rounded up and imprisoned over 100,000 political dissidents, um, more journalists arrested in Turkey than anywhere else. Um, He has welcomed to the White House um, 
Ambassador Kislyak and uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov uh, from from Russia, and we know what's happened to political dissidents against Vladimir Putin. Um, he just sat down with the king of Saudi Arabia, Afghan, not a country that's known for its human rights record. He has invited President Duterte from the Philippines, whose thugs have killed over 7,000 suspected drug dealers in the streets of the Philippines. He's even said he'd be honored to sit down and meet with Kim Jong-un from North Korea. My question to you is, do we care about human rights anymore? I sure hope so. And, but aren't know, you troubled by, these are people that Barack Obama wouldn't allow anywhere near the White House. Yeah, the message that these meetings sends is extremely troubling, right? The United States needs to show leadership on human rights, uh, both not only to push other countries to uphold human rights standards, but also for our own national security, right? When the U.S. is viewed as sort of ceding the moral high ground, that has detrimental consequences, not just for human rights around the world, um, but also for how the United States is viewed uh, and sort of puts a, I don't, I don't want to say it puts a target on the United States' back, but it's it's very difficult for the U.S. to be effective in pushing back on terrorism um, when it looks like it's sort of in bed with the bad guys. And the White House's response is, well, we talk, oh, by the way, I left off the list the president of China, uh, who he entertains at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, we know what's happened with China with religious dissidents and political opponents. And um, New York Times reporting yesterday that China's murdered 18 to 20 um, CIA contacts uh, in China. And this is the guy that, that uh, Donald Trump said, he's a fantastic guy. You know, we're good buddies and everything. So um, I, I guess, again, the, the, the question is, oh, so the White House says, well, we talk about human rights yeah, we don't say it publicly, but privately we always raise questions of human rights. Do they? Do you believe that? You know, whether they actually talk about it privately or not, the message that they send publicly from the statements that are yeah. made publicly really matters. And um, one and can only hope that this White House is going to understand that sooner rather than later. And ra uh, it raises, first of all, I don't believe them. Uh, but secondly, <laughs> even if they do privately, as you, I guess you're, you're, you're making the point too, that um, it's not as effective as shaming them publicly or calling them out publicly. And why not call them out publicly? You know, um, yeah, Melania and Ivanka can go to Saudi Arabia and not wear a hijab. They could drive a car and probably get away with it. No other, no Saudi woman can. You know, why not call them out and say, hey, why don't you treat women the way we, treat, you know, respect and honor our women? Um, I think that's certainly a lot more effective. Not that Donald Trump's the only president who has not done that, but it does raise a question about what do we stand for uh, and whether we stand for human rights anymore. I, I mentioned that story earlier about the, I think it was 31 million people were displaced in 2016. That's the the sort of unofficial number by this this, this study. Either due to natural disaster or war, either Congo or Syria and things like that. And it was a Norwegian organization. It was a Norwegian research. organization that did the study and did the survey that, that, that looked at it. But essentially, a person gets displaced from their home country every second, or did in 2016. And I, I can't imagine it's going to get much better in 2017. But we're just, I mean, that's not a priority for us, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, the United States is really squandering an opportunity to show leadership, not just on uh, human rights and upholding human rights standards, um, but also, as you say, 
um, for opening its arms and opening its doors um, to those uh, who need refuge um, in, you know, in the, the greatest uh, crisis in humanitarian terms that we've seen really since World War II. Wow. I mean, I just imagine, if you look around the globe, I'm, I'm just thinking of your organization, Human Rights First. I mean, uh, the, the, the <laughs> I don't know how you can keep on top of all the problem areas and all the violations of human rights in so many in so many countries. We've been busy, um, but you know, as you say, that the name of the organization is Human Rights First, and that's you know, the organization was founded upon this belief that you know, it's a foreign policy and a national security policy that places human rights. Um, First, you know, at the the front yeah. and center of that right. policy, that is ultimately most effective in the long run. That's what the organization believes, and that's what we're trying to do. Right, and and that does that does contradict the idea that okay, we talk about it privately, right? We exactly. just whisper that, but we never publicly would criticize anybody for their human rights record. I, the first president that I recall who said we're going to make human rights cent- front, center a centerpiece of American foreign policy was Jimmy Carter. Am I right? Is Was, was he the first? or? Does I don't it, know if he was. I don't know if he was the first, but I'll, I'll go with it. Okay. All right. <laughs> but ha- think someone can Google that. Yeah. Uh, well, my, my, real, my real question is, at least until Donald Trump, was it? Did it continue to be a centerpiece of American foreign policy? And is it still, um, again, even not under Donald Trump, but is, is that supposed to be, is the United States foreign policy supposed to be focused on human rights first? Yeah, so, you know, some administrations have been better than others. I think, you know, we, we heard a lot during the Obama administration about uh, making human rights a, a priority. Um, sometimes, you know, they didn't quite live up to um, that standard that we would hope they would uh, have, but there is certainly a change here where we're not even um, seeing the lip service being paid uh, to the importance of human rights. And hopefully that's something that this administration will realize is a mistake um, and is uh, really counterproductive in the long run and will change course. Because it seems that the, the Trump approach is we don't care what they do in their own country as long as they join us in the fight against ISIS. And that's what he said about Egypt. That's what he said about Turkey, the president, the presidents of those countries. That's what he said about the Saudis. That's what he said about China. Right? If we all, you guys, all join us in the fight against ISIS, then we're not going to criticize your treatment of women or political dissidents or whatever. Right. Yeah, and that just sort of shows a fundamental misunderstanding about sort of what causes conflict and unrest and uh, terrorism in the first place. Right. So if if other countries don't have a solid foundation in human rights, then you start to see a lot of these threats um, to U.S. national security down the road. Um, so again, the sort of it's a very uh, short-sighted view uh, to put human rights um, to the side. Do you rank any countries in terms of abuses for for, for human rights, and what are the who are the worst players on the planet today? So uh, Human Rights First actually really focuses on uh, the role of the United States primarily. Oh, right. um, and so, you know, and its opportunity to lead on human rights. Um, some other, you know, parts of our organization um, look at uh, LGBT rights in other countries, for example. 
Um, but we don't do sort of a, a ranking by country like some other um, human rights organizations do. And where would you put the United States in terms of uh, on a scale of one to ten in our, uh, you know, leadership on human rights today? It's, we're we're not in a good place today. That's depressing. Yeah, that depresses no, me. It really, me too. You know? Yeah. No, we should be. The city on the hill, right? We should be leading the fight. We should be leading the charge. It seems to me everybody on the planet knows what the United States stands for. We're the champions of human rights. Exactly. Wherever, right? And sadly, we're not. I will say the good thing in all this is it's forcing us to confront this, and it's forcing us to deal with it and look yeah. at our look at what we're doing as a country, which could be a reset. And you know one way to help would be keep these thugs and criminals out of the White House. Yeah. Uh, all right. Hey, Rita, thank you for all the great work you're doing. It is humanrightsfirst.org. Uh, Rita Simeon, the International Legal Counsel. Good this you. Thank you. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Are you ready? Three, two, one. Here we go on a Tuesday, May 23rd, the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day from here in Washington, around the country, and, of course, uh, from uh, Israel, the Palestinian territories, where the President of the United States uh, is now on his second, second day pardon me, of his visit there. Uh, talking to both Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Abbas of the Palestinian territories uh, and push, pushing them and urging them to sit down uh, and um, maybe uh, do something that no other president has been able to accomplish is bring peace bet- uh, and a two, a two, bring about a two-state solution to peace in the Middle East. I think the chances are slim, but I applaud him for trying. Uh, we will look forward to hearing from you about the uh, events of the day uh, on Twitter at BP Show, and we are so pleased to welcome uh, the leader of the resistance, Ben Wickler. <laughs> uh, at least one of the leaders. Well, of the it resistance. is a leaderful resistance, but it I'm is, glad to be. No, yeah, that's what I love about the resistance. There's yes. so many leaders out there, and it's uh, certainly like it's leaderless in terms of no one great big. So there, a few years ago, this, Person, this, but lots this of little leaders. This term "leaderful" emerged as a replacement for "leaderless." Leaderful <laughs> being like we're full of leaders. Yeah, it's not yeah. an embarrassment of, of riches. An embarrassment of riches, and I think that's a great way of thinking about the resistance. That is, that's really good. Yeah, I like that a lot. So, what's going on out there in the real world? Uh, a lot of you know because you're part of it. Ben Wickler here from MoveOn.org, and we'll get right to it. But first. 
This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple other stories making news. Quote, I think we should build a permanent human settlement on one of the poles of the moon. It's time to go back to the moon, but this time to stay. Newt Gingrich. No, not Newt Gingrich. That is a quote from, from Jeff... Bezos, the Amazon billionaire, owner of the Washington Post, he gave uh, he was talking to uh, kids at the uh, kids uh, Seattle Museum of Flight yesterday, and he was asking about the moon and whether or not we should go back. And he says, "Yeah, we should go back, and we should stay there. We should build a settlement. We should start trying to figure out if we can live on the moon." He'll get you there by drone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Two hours or less. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sign up for Amazon Prime. Get you there tomorrow. He what just wants need? to open warehouses on the moon. That's what it is, really. <laughs> uh, so Elon Musk says we want to go to Mars. Jeff Bezos says we want to go to the moon. You know, hey, it's somewhere out there. We'll uh, we'll find a way forward. It's a wonderful world. <laughs> one person or one uh, group of people who are not very happy is Hollywood. They are not having a very good summer so far at the box office, and they are not anticipating it to get much better. There's too, nothing to see. Too, everyone's watching political news these days. You know what? That's actually a good point. That yeah. reality is way weirder than anything that Hollywood could possibly concoct. Yeah, it's so strange that the market for dystopian, uh, you know, futuristic <laughs> thrillers about corruption at the highest levels has fallen out. Yeah, who, yeah. who would have guessed? Alien Covenant opened up this last week and far uh, uh, fell below what they had anticipated that would make. And King Arthur, the legend of the sword, essentially just fell off of the radar. They I also said there's nothing to see. They also had a couple of kids movies they thought would do well. That hasn't done so uh, so well, the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. One movie that has uh, lived up to the hype in terms of box office performances, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, that has done Pretty well, yeah. But they don't see any big hits on the horizon, and they're kind of freaking out about what happens next. So, with the exception of Marvel and some of the other superhero movies, just stop with the sequels and remakes. That's that's where they're losing money. I don't disagree with you there. I definitely don't disagree with you there. And uh, Bill, I know uh, you're not planning on hiking Mount Everest anytime soon, but there's one like final. It's not even on my bucket list. No. There's one final ascent to the summit of Everest. It's called the Hillary Step, named after Sir Edmund Hillary. Gone. It is gone. It is gone. There was an earthquake in 2015 that damaged it, and since then, hikers are saying it's completely gone. It's just crumbled. You know, part of it is there's too much traffic. Yeah, There are more people who are signed up to scale the mountain this year than ever before. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. All right, sports fans, what do you say? Good to see you here on a Tuesday, May 23rd. Uh, Biggest sport of all, American politics uh, and The Bill Press Show. Great to have you with us as we uh, join you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, of course. Also, uh, wonderful to be part of Chicago. Hello, Chicago on WCPT. Looking at you coast to coast on Free Speech TV as well, and uh, we invite your comments always uh, on anything we're talking about. Uh, just go to Twitter and send us your comments at BP Show. Uh, and something very special is going to happen after, just after the program today, about 9.15 East Coast time. So figure out your time zone. We're going to be live streaming an interview with the Reverend Barry Lynn, head of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. A very important issue in talking with Barry Lynn, uh, particularly about 
Donald Trump and the evangelicals, and what the hell is all of that about, and why did they support him so strongly and uh, and still do as president of the United States? Anyhow, that's going to be live-streamed on Patreon. Patreon.com is a new place for us. You can sign up, uh, modest monthly fee, and we put all kinds of exclusive content up on Patreon, including this live streaming. This is the first live stream. This is our first live stream. We and just signed so up on Patreon. There's a tier on Patreon. You can view the live stream. We also uh, are going to be putting out some other really cool content. We're still working on the podcast, The Making of Bernie Sanders, which we've interviewed Michael Briggs and Tad Devine for, and we've got some other cool interviews coming up. So uh, go check it out, patreon.com slash show. Right. Man, we're almost as busy as the people at MoveOn.org. Almost. <laughs> almost. Hey, Ben, it's, it's, it's great a, to see you. It's a season of innovation. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. you got to be everywhere on every platform. I'm, it's great to see you, Bill. It's great to see you, Peter. Yeah, man. Yeah. Coming in. Absolutely. Uh, so what's the latest? What's going on? Uh, any? Uh, where, where, where's the focus of the action today, the resistance? Is it town halls? Is it letters to Congress? Is it more marches planned? Or what's going on? Where? <laughs> so all tactics are on the table. Uh, you know, I want to say uh-huh. in terms of where to focus, there are, I would say, three big things right now. Uh huh. The cool. first is the thing that everyone is flipping out about and obsessed with, which is the Trump-Russia collusion, corruption, obstruction of justice, you know, I-word insanity. And yeah. that is just hard to avoid that. It is blowing up on everybody's phones. People are talking about it at the grocery store. That's happening. And there are some things you can do, but I want to, I want to flag that just tracking a story and following the story is not the same thing as actually yeah. affecting the yeah. course of events. That's so, a really good point. Yeah. There are some people who, who, who have sort of resigned themselves. It, this looks really bad for Trump, and it feels like it's falling apart, And but who knows? He sort of lives in this chaos-fueled yeah. world. And I see a lot of people that just go, this is it. This is the end. He's falling apart. And you, you can't just fall back on that. Remember how many times everyone had that reaction during the 2016 campaign? Yeah. The tape came yeah. out. Oh, the wheels are coming off. It's a dumpster oh, yeah. fire. Oh, it's done. This is it. Yeah. Finally crossed the it line. It yeah. doesn't work that way. This right. guy, you know, this guy is going to hang on to power with his fingernails yeah. for as long as he can. Oh, yeah. And these things, there are lots of countries where, you know, the governments have, like, driven the country into a ditch. Things can go on in a this-can't-go-on state for way longer than people realize. Right. Years. Yeah. Years and years. I mean, I my first uh, campaign as an online activist was with Avaz.org in 2007. There were these uprisings against Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe. And uh, we were – he was like – you know, had been dictator for a very long time and had just rigged a vote. And we were supporting the democracy movement. And I was like, it seems like this is really cracking up. He's still there. It's been <laughs> a decade. He's Whoa. in his 80s. I think he's 87 <laughs> now. So, you know, brace yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't expect the wheels to come off anytime soon. There are some things you can do as an activist. You can okay. especially, you can call for an independent investigation. Okay. A, a, a congressional commission, because that is something that has not happened yet. Give us the other yeah. two and then come back and talk about, <laughs> okay. about right, each one, you. what we can do about each one. I got Just so excited to the table of contents. Here. I know, I know. I couldn't That's handle right. it. All right. Second thing, Rob Quist. The yes. Aha, good, good, the special good, elections good. are crucial. They are yes. fundamental. Right. And there is like, you know, it would be it would be amazing to get within a couple points, but there's a huge difference between winning and losing. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I, I would have to say, like, if we lose, we shouldn't say all hope is lost. The resistance is futile, any of that kind of stuff. But if we win, Republicans will interpret that as a yeah. giant yes. signal. That's the kind of thing that can actually scare them off of their game. Right. In a, you know, in a, in a profound way. So yeah. okay. chip in a few bucks if you're you know, if you're out there. Mm-hmm. Volunteer, make sure you vote. Any place where there's a special election. All right. 
Number three, and this is the sleeper that to me is actually the electoral tidal wave and also the one with the most significance for people's lives right away, healthcare. Mm -hmm. Hmm. This is something that is not in the headlines. And you know when else it wasn't in the headlines? Before the House passed it. Because just like what happened in the House, this is being negotiated behind closed doors right now. Donald Trump's attention is not on it. He's not plugged into it, which means that none of the cameras are following it. But this is moving forward very quickly in the Senate. They're negotiating. There's a group of Republican senators negotiating in secret a bill that can pass the Senate. They're not doing any of the normal procedures where you'd have a public committee hearing and you'd have testimony from witnesses. All the sort of trappings of the Democratic legislative process are being ignored here so that they can come up with something that can get only Republican votes. They're not even pretending to try to get Democratic votes and then pop it out. They have to, you know, get a, a congressional budget office score in the Senate before they vote, unlike in the House. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's that? Uh huh. CBO yeah. score? Right. It's I this, remember that. This antiquated thing where you have That's to. That's a know name how I much haven't heard in a long, long yeah. time. Know how right. much it costs before you buy it? It's yeah. Kind of a yeah. old principle. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Uh, kind of a nice principle. Here, I know Republicans but... aren't interested in running the government like a business, but you'd think they'd at least pay attention to the price tag. <laughs> okay. But uh, they're negotiating this thing. They want to move it through, and there's every risk that they will. Just come to a conclusion. Everyone's attention will be on something else. And suddenly, you know, they'll be like a couple of days away from the vote and it'll be too late for us to stop it. All right. So three areas uh, you hear it here from MoveOn.org where we ought to be focused and where you can focus. You can plug in. You can be part of it. Uh, and important th- three important areas to kind of roll things back, change the tide, change the direction, the Trump-Russian connection, the Rob Quist special election in Montana and on health care. Let's go back to the Trump-Russian connection right. slash cover-up collusion. Uh, worth pointing out that today, Washington Post reporting yet another exclusive bombshell on the part of the Washington Post that Donald Trump not only tried to cover up this investigation by getting uh, asking James Comey to drop it, and when he wouldn't, he fired him, uh, but he also called the director of national intelligence and the head of the NSA and ask the two of them, Admiral Rogers at NSA and Daniel Coates at uh, the, the DNI, Director of National Intelligence, to go out publicly and say there ain't no collusion, there's no evidence, there's no nothing, and they both turned him down. So you got three attempts on the part of the president to cover up this investigation into his team, his administration. What can we do about it? So here's the big thing we can do. We are constituents. If you're outside of Washington, D.C. at least, you have members of Congress, you have senators who have votes. And in the House and the Senate, we need to pass legislation to call for an independent public investigation. So the special prosecutor is great, but it's important to understand the difference between a special prosecutor and what a select committee in Congress can do or an independent commission like the 9-11 Commission can do. Special prosecutor, his job is to investigate possible criminal wrongdoing. If he finds lots of other stuff that would be of tremendous interest to the United States public, maybe even impeachable offenses that aren't technically illegal, for example, he doesn't have to do anything about those. It's outside of his mandate. And at the end, he doesn't release a public report. He files Mm. charges or he closes the investigation. Mm. I didn't know that. We don't know where this is going. Yeah, right. And we won't know. So Mueller's good, but not enough. Exactly. Mueller's good, but not enough. Congress... Congress can set up an independent commission, it can set up a select committee, and it can have witnesses come forward in public and testify. You know, it can a, a, uh, an investigation like that can subpoena people, it can, it can get people under oath, and it can do public testimony. Watergate, 
there was a special prosecutor, but there were also the, the, the hearings, ultimately. And a lot happened in those hearings. And to have democratic accountability, you've got to have stuff aired out in public. So in the House, there's a discharge petition that would force Paul Ryan to schedule the vote. Mm -hmm. And it has every single Democrat on it huh. for, a, for a special investigation. Uh, there are a couple of Republicans on it now as well. So the, the, there are cracks in the dam. But if you have a Republican representative or if you have friends and, and family who have Republican representatives, get them to start making phone calls to their Republican representatives and get on this thing. Yeah. And in the Senate, we so, need so a full court press, too. So we need an independent commission. Uh, and by the way, both the House and the Senate would have to vote for that? or Yeah. you'd have, I mean, the thing about it— and So not just call your House members, but call the senators, too, I guess, is what I'm asking. Call your senators, too. So that's the other thing. So the in the in the House, the— project has moved forward further. In the Senate, senators were mostly calling for a special prosecutor, and they got it, yeah, which is, yeah. frankly, a huge victory. And that had something to do with the public outcry in you know congressional districts and Senate, you know, in states and across the country. It wasn't just the sort of mechanics of what was happening in D.C. It was the sense that it was politically necessary. So people should count that as a victory. It really is one. But now we need to go further, and we need to get an independent commission as well. Uh, and, uh, and again, who decides? Is that, are we counting on... Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. So if you have a discharge petition, it's a it's a parliamentary oh, discharge, maneuver right. where the leader doesn't get to decide whether the vote is held or not. So if you get enough, if you get a couple dozen Republican members of Congress on that thing, then the vote's going to happen and it'll pass because oh you already God. have the votes there. Uh, the crazy thing to get an independent commission is you need a, a bill passed through both houses of Congress signed by the president. <laughs> and I just my feeling is yeah. if Donald Trump wants to publicly veto an independent uh, that's right bipartisan yeah. you know commission you know bless him go for it yeah, like, yeah. that is the first step to a lot of things but I'll tell you I mean, uh, one thing is the first step to is his very first veto override which is the next thing we'd fo focus sure. on organizing yeah. for no absolutely put that on his desk and and let him veto it yeah yeah that would be that would be great so. Uh, Peter, we should uh, put these out. Yeah. We will uh, to get people. To, uh, that's that's a that's a good project. That's a good mission. That's a that's a great great goal. And I still hear talk about the independent commission. A lot of people, members of Congress, have not walked away and I, and folded their tent just because there's a special counsel. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And especially, I mean, the House again is where it can move first because of this incredible progress towards the discharge petition. There was a, a protest outside the White House, excuse me, outside the Capitol last Friday. Nancy Pelosi spoke. There were dozens of activists you know, out there calling for this independent commission. The pressure is going to stay on these members of the House in their districts. And uh, this Friday, is that true? Gosh, time moves fast. This Friday, Congress goes on recess. So all these members of the House. Came they back. just came back. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Marie says. Uh -huh. 20, June, uh, May 26th to June 5th, they'll be gone. So they will go back to their districts, and they're going to hear about this. If uh, if if Bill Press uh, show viewers and listeners go to their town halls, ask about this. Ask them if yeah. they'll sign the discharge petition. Ask them why they're covering up for Trump if they won't do it. Right. They need to feel the pressure in order for them to move on this. Yeah, yeah. These uh, one thing about this this year that these breaks right and these recesses have proven to be bonanzas in terms of access to members of Congress, Absolutely. either at their district office or at the town halls. Those who dare have them. So this is an interesting development, right? Uh, Republicans are now just fleeing their constituents in droves. <laughs> they are refusing to schedule town halls. They are they're doing tele-town halls where they get people on the phone and pre-screen all the questions. But that doesn't mean you can't keep the pressure up. One innovation that's just been terrific that's happened this year is the creation of constituent town halls where you schedule the town hall, invite people, 
invite the member of Congress, and if they don't show up, you have it anyway. You have <laughs> you get a cardboard cutout of your member of Congress, put them at the front of the new of, of the room, tell all the local TV news channels, and they will come and cover it. And you know your member of Congress is going to watch that thing on television, right. and their staff yeah. is going to watch it, and may even show up, right? And maybe may even show up. Absolutely. So yeah. do not be dissuaded by your cowardly Republican member of Congress if they refuse <laughs> to confront their constituents. Uh, you know, set up the confrontation and, and let them come to you. Ben Wickler, Washington Director of MoveOn.org. MoveOn.org. So there's your first assignment. Um, all you radicals out there. <laughs> uh, Montana, here we come. Yes. Rob Quist, Thursday, right? Two days from this now Thursday. is a special election. Bernie Sanders was out there campaigning with him over the weekend. It's a uh, beautiful thing. And it's beautiful. Th- and it's um, it's close. It's close. This thing really could go either way. And it, it's going to wind up coming down to base enthusiasm. This is not about turnout, uh, right? Yeah, this is 100% about turnout. And it's, you know, the question is, will our side have its act together, stay focused? Mm-hmm. You know, will people give uh, their friends and neighbors rides to the polls? Will we, will we smash all the normal expectations of what happens in a special election like this? Because normally these special elections, there's like, you know, you'll have like 20% turnout. You'll have these incredibly low numbers. And that's when the status quo can just roll along forward. Right, yeah. right, and right. it can't be that way. Yeah. It can't be that way this time. Democrats Rob have- is going to go to Congress, and he's going to work with me and other progressives in the Congress, and we're going to change those national priorities. All right. Thank you, Bernie. Yeah, yeah Bernie. Bernie that's there. right. Democrats have got to get a win. They have got to get a win. I know that there have been a couple opportunities since the election of Donald Trump as president for Democrats to to get a win and they have it yet they've come darn close and that counts for something but it's time yeah i it's like time i like moral victories but i really like victory victories yeah victory victories are pretty great so here's the thing here's why i think they need to get a win i don't think they need to get a win in order to get a landslide in 2018 i think they need to get a win in order to stop republicans yeah. from doing as much damage now yes because republicans the only language they really ultimately understand these house republicans these senate republicans is the the threats to their jobs will i lose right? my job will i lose my job yeah, and, and it won't feel real until they, one of them actually does uh and let's point out that the idea so this is uh, montana's sole member of congress so it's a statewide election but democrats can win and have won statewide in montana there's a democratic governor of yes. montana today who beat this guy who's running against rob quist yep uh and you know we've had a, the, the former democratic governor brian, brian schweitzer on our show awesome. many, many many times yep. max baucus former former uh, senator yep so so it, it's a red state but it's a state that Democrats have won and absolutely. can win. Absolutely. Right. When you run like a Montanan. And yes. right. that's what Rob Quist is what, doing. Yeah. Exactly. You know? So now, what can our viewers and listeners do to help Rob Quist? So one thing you can do. And what are doing, you doing to help? Pull out your credit card, chip in some money. Put up, you know, support. You can support Move On. We've got TV ads there. You can support cool. You can support uh, the campaign directly. You can go on Act Blue, you know, chip into his campaign. It is worth putting some dollars in, they're running a smart campaign and they're going to, you know, use every dollar to the utmost. The second thing, if you're if you know anybody who lives in Montana, give them a call. Yeah. It really, you know, giving people a phone call, especially someone who you have a personal relationship with, is actually the best most effective uh, way that if you're far away, you can get somebody to go to the polls. Make sure that the, the people you know in Montana are going to vote. You can go on Facebook and and search, type in my friends who live in Montana and it'll show you a list. You might not realize that your friends from high school live in Montana now. 
But it is, Whoa, really? You can do that. I have done that. It is, <laughs> it is worth doing that, taking a second to do that, figuring out who you can personally get out to the polls. I'll do that right now. There are. He's no. a colorful candidate. I mean, I, I you know, I <laughs> yes. like him. Never met him, but yeah. Uh, and and he he is, he's a progressive. He's also a very independent kind of Democrat, right? He didn't want to be a tool of the DNC, um, which is all very Montanan. It's very in tune with his state. You know yep. what I mean? Like he doesn't. He's not going to run the same campaign that Chuck Schumer would run. He's going to run the campaign that Rob Quist would run, and mm-hmm. that's you know all the more power to him. That's frankly how we win in in, uh, in states across the country is people who understand their electorates, uh, you know, doing the things that'll that'll matter in those places. Right. So again, move on. You can go to moveon.org or just Google the Rob Quist campaign, whatever. And if you Google Rob yeah. Quist right now, I guarantee you'll see an ad from the campaign asking you to donate. <laughs> so it's, worth, it's worth doing that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you're running spots there, you say, in Montana. Yeah, we're uh, we're uh, got an independent expenditure, you know, campaign. We're doing the same in Ossoff's race. Uh, we've endorsed. We think this is major yeah, opportunity. That's another one too. In terms of special elections, we have the uh, runoff in, uh, in 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 Georgia. But what you talk about uh, that the turnout is so so important because that's the uh, just repeating what you said. But that's the problem with special elections is people not enough. People just stay home. They don't think they matter, or it's not. There's no president on the ballot, and so they don't think it's important enough. It, this is so damn important. so important. It is. Yeah. It is like it's hard to overstate how powerful a vote in Montana is at this at this moment. A win in Montana would send shockwaves through the Dem- Republican Party. Absolutely, and it also would change the way every Democrat runs. Yes, in this next election. Yeah. Yes. Very yeah, good. Absolutely. Very good point. It would energize the Democratic Party. And also say, this is the way we've got to run to win. As a populist. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. All right. So then we get to health care. Yes. All right. So let me just let me just re, let me just underscore, reinforce, emphasize this is so, so important. This is a giant fight. And it's it's important at a few levels. And it's not over yet. And it is oh my gosh, I mean, it's not yeah. over yet. Yeah. This is it's what happened earlier this year is that Trump got involved, there was a big brouhaha. They couldn't pull it together, and it died in the House. And suddenly everyone went from talking about Trump care to talking about zombie Trump care. Oh, it's still a zombie. It's lurching around. It'll yeah. never happen. Yeah. That is the most dangerous thing of all. That's the way, you know, some people reacted to the end of Trump's campaign that way, and now Trump is president. Right. This thing is moving ahead. They are dead set on having a vote. They're dead set on passing the bill into law. They're dead set on making this Trump's first victory. This, you know, they make no mistake how serious they are about this. And this is happening intentionally in the least public way possible. Now, that is actually going to start changing tomorrow. Because tomorrow, the Congressional Budget Office will release its score oh, of the House bill. Right, right. So finally. We, I know, we finally. Get this. Yeah, geez. There's a very slight chance that something amazing will happen. There's a very slight chance that the Congressional Budget Office will come out and say, Congress promised a health care bill that would reduce the deficit, and this will increase the deficit. And so the House needs to amend it and vote again. Oh, huh. that would be a giant screw up by Paul Ryan and all the House Republicans. <laughs> if that happens, It'd be so beautiful, it would though. be so beautiful. And that if that happens, <laughs> every I hope every person who is paying attention right now uh, will get off their couch and fight to stop that bill from passing the yeah. House again with every fiber of their being, because that is our best. That would be our best possible shot mm-hmm. at killing this thing. Yeah, it'd be yeah. so beautiful. But I would say nine out of 10 chance that yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And the fact is, what they did was insidious, because what they did when they changed it the second time in the House, it's probably going to look better than the previous version of the House bill, even though it's worse. 
Oh, yeah. It is worse. It how is worse. It, how could it look better? It would look better for the following reason. The Republicans keep promising that they're going to reduce the cost of health insurance, right? If you say that insurance companies can discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions, mm. that means they jack up the price for people with pre-existing conditions so high that they don't buy insurance, which means that the prices for everybody else are lower. And so what's possible that we're going to see oh. from the Congressional Budget Office score is that the bill actually uh, kicks fewer people off their health insurance than the last one, and the costs go down. But that's phony. Totally phony, <laughs> because the way they do it is by kicking the people who need insurance most off their yeah, coverage. Yeah. So it would be and this there total lot of those people. Oh, there's a lot yeah. of those people. But there's lots of healthy people. You know, if, if, if health insurance costs you a few bucks, maybe you'll buy it. So if you eliminate the guarantee that health insurance will actually cover things like prescription drugs and yeah. you know, maternity care and mental things health, all this stuff, <laughs> things that you need, essential health benefits, if you remove that requirement, if you remove the guarantee that it covers people with pre-existing conditions, which means the price of covering those people, which is a little higher, is eliminated, then the price drops for a lot of other people. And so more, basically more young, healthy people buy insurance at a lower cost, and it looks better on paper until you look at the reality, which is insurance is supposed to help you when you need it, right? right? So you need to cover the people who really need the insurance as well. That's been the most sobering thing about the healthcare fight is just realizing that Paul Ryan specifically has a fundamental lack of understanding about how insurance works. Yeah. Yeah, this is and this is he's not just Paul Ryan, man. Right? Tom, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, across the board, absolutely. But t so Tom Price, right, our Health and Human Services <laughs> Secretary, <laughs> the guy who should know more about it than anybody. He is a member should. of a fringe uh, medical society that, on its website, has this whole guide to doing without insurance, and it urges doctors to not accept Medicare. They think insurance is evil. They want to go back to the days when people paid doctors directly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there, there's an interview with their, the head of this organization that Tom Price has been a very active member of for years and has done speeches with them and appears with their, their leader. And uh, she's asked, what do you do if you don't have health insurance? And she says, well, you could go abroad for your treatment. Oh, good. You know, you could seek alternate treatments or you could do without. And it's like... You could barter with them. You yeah. could barter them like two chickens Yeah, give them for, two chickens. Uh, this is the 21st... Talking about this, it's it's just you could, crazy. But this you could is do right there because we all know that nobody has ever died because they were not <laughs> able to get health care. Right? Who right. was that idiot that said that? Some member of Congress, forget. No, that but. was that was uh, wasn't that Jason Chaffetz? That said no, that? no, it wasn't no. Chaffetz. Uh, was it Lloyd? Somebody I forget. Mm. No, maybe. Anyhow, Google, Google. Yeah, we no, remember. that, that, that put remember. me through the roof. Well, I'm going to come back to. I, I just want to underscore the importance of one thing you said there. Is that the the impression was given that the House bill was so bad that it was DOA in the Senate, which it that much is true. Technically it is, is right. true. But that doesn't mean the Senate is not going to do something on health care. A lot of people concluded from that, therefore health care will never pass the Senate in any form and the issue is dead. Wrong, 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 wrong. wrong. Yeah, this, nothing right. drives me more crazy than this myth. The fact yeah. that the House bill can't pass the Senate as is, all that means is that when it gets to the Senate, the Senate can just rip it up and pass its own thing. Right. There's something called a, an amendment in the nature of a substitution. If you are in charge of a bill in Congress, you can say, you know what? I'm going to amend this bill by replacing it with something totally different. And you can just do it. You have the right to do that. You don't even need a, a right. vote from the body to do that. And so they're going to so, replace this bill with some other monstrosity, tweak it around the edges, and pass the Senate. And the dangerous thing is, 
once the Senate has passed something, yeah, it'll go to the House, and the House will know that this is their one shot. There is every chance that all these Republicans who you know fought for this and that provision in the House bill, they'll just pass what the Senate passed because they know that's their one chance to destroy Obamacare. Sure. And so we we've just we cannot we cannot trust that the disagreements between the House and the Senate will save us. That is a losing strategy. We need to shut it down in the Senate <laughs> shut it down. now. All right. So you've got your marching orders, folks, from MoveOn.org, uh, and there are three important ones and three good ones and three ways we really can make a difference uh, on the Trump Russia connection, uh, that investigation, uh, that it continue. On the Rob Quist campaign out in Montana and on blocking uh, the repeal of uh, Obamacare. That fight is not over. Got to continue. Ben Wicker leading the charge here uh, for MoveOn.org in Washington. Thanks, Ben, so much. And now back with another charger, another great leader, Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio. Yeah, because he's not my cup of tea, Michael. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. You got it. Tuesday, May 23rd. Hello, hello. Welcome. Uh, Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good to see you on uh, WCPT out in the great Chicago area on Free Speech TV nationwide joining you. And uh, again, very, very special. If you haven't already done so uh, this morning, sign up on patreon.com slash BP show. You got it. Right? Got it. You got it. Because we'll be doing our very first live stream about 15 minutes after the show ends today. So that's about 9.15 East Coast time. Uh, Adjust your clocks accordingly, wherever you happen to be in the country. Uh, Talking to Reverend Barry Lynn from Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Uh, You can follow that if you sign up and join us on patreon.com slash bp show lots going on uh and the big battles on capitol hill um and one of the leaders for us and the democrats and progressives on the hill good friend of the program congressman tim ryan and also the uh, leading charger for the Democratic softball team. And the, uh, <laughs> baseball. Baseball. Oh, baseball. Sorry, Come baseball. On. There he is. <laughs> which, in uniform today. Which makes it even more pathetic. I mean, you want to see some <laughs> serious <laughs> pathetic athleticism or lack thereof come to a morning practice of the congressional baseball team, either Democrat or Republican. Pretty sad, It's huh? disappointing. <laughs> Just in general. Hey, Carson, how you doing? Doing great. Good Thank to you. see Thanks you. Thanks for having you're, me. You're looking good. Thank yeah. you. Getting in the game shape uh so today's a uh, big I'm down two and a half pounds all right there you go <laughs> clawing my way to middle body by congress yeah. i like it yeah. i like it i was talking to one of the players today i won't reveal their name they said they went to gnc the other day i said you know you start working out a little bit i started working out you know i said you start working out he said well i went to gnc the other day and they said, this is this will give your muscle, you know, increase muscle strength and reduce fat. He says, well, give me some of that. He, they said, this will give you energy. He said, give me some of that. <laughs> <laughs> one of those, yeah. one of those, yeah. one of those, so one of those. So that's the workout regime in Congress. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you work out here? 
Uh, is there, uh, uh, house gym, and then I do hot yoga. I'm a hot yoga okay. guy. Okay. Well, I'm I just sorry. started doing hot yoga. I'm What's into that? hot yoga. I just started doing hot yoga. I'm into hot yoga. It's wonderful. Yeah, isn't it great? Oh, yeah. I don't I mean, know what hot yoga is. Oh, man. It's yoga in a you... room that's 95 degrees or 100 degrees. Oh, no. Is that right? On... Yeah. Oh. It's yeah. wild, so, man. It's great for when you're like 40 and you used to play sports and you like can't do anything else. Yeah, <laughs> but right. But like, still want to feel like you really worked yeah, out. You, you get just sweat, sweat. You get good sweat. Yeah, yeah. good for your head too. Yeah. Good for your mind. But where do you? Uh, where, where's the baseball practice at? A, uh, on, the front, on the front lawn of the uh, no, of the Capitol. A, a guy at that university. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Beautiful field out there. It, oh really? Yeah. 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 So. I've seen the front of that school. I've never seen the back. Yeah. Campus. Beautiful. Beautiful sports complex there. Whoa. Uh, football field. Soccer field, whatever. Well, so um, and then you got to run down the Capitol because the president's budget comes out today. I'm sure you want to be there, grab a copy, and put your name on it, and say, "I endorse this 100." <laughs> I mean, from what we've seen, it's it's just not real, right? No, no, I don't. Uh, well, I mean, it's it'd be real if it got implemented, and the thing. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, and it it 4.1 trillion just to give the number 4.1 trillion dollar budget. Which cuts eight hundred billion dollars from Medicaid, slices one hundred and ninety-two billion dollars from nutritional assistance, and two hundred and seventy-two billion from uh, welfare programs, kind of mm-hmm. uh, programs that help the poor across the board. Yeah, and provides them an opportunity to get out of poverty. You know, I mean, to have basic health care so that you can go to work. No one could go to work if they're not healthy. Yeah, yeah. And the Medicaid expansion, which included even thousands of more people. I think there's about 700,000 in Ohio, millions across the country. So you can have basic health care so you can go to work. Well, it's like pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Go to work. Well, if you're not – if you can't get well or stay well or if you miss work because you're sick and you can't get an antibiotic and so you keep missing work and you get fired, I mean, the right. deck is totally stacked against you. So all of this to me it comes into – like, how are you helping people get into the middle class? And if you're not getting food, if you're not getting proper health care, there's no shot of you getting into the middle class and climbing your way up there. It's tough enough as it is. And then to have the president of the United States, here's the kicker, who campaigned on the complete opposite of everything that's in this well, bill. I was just going to ask you about that. It seems to me that these programs that they're cutting are the ones that benefit and help the very people who – he, whom he campaigned for, reached out to, and a lot of whom voted for him. Yeah, yeah. We're going to expand Medicare. We're going to expand Medicaid. Everyone's yeah. going to have health care. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be much better, much cheaper. Well, you cut $800 billion, people aren't going to have health care. I mean, is that the kind of country you want to live in? And then he also cuts the seed corn for energy development for the next generation. I mean, we've got wind jobs in Ohio, solar jobs that are growing – you know, multiple times faster than coal jobs. <laughs> I mean, the coal jobs, <laughs> sure. if you graph the thing, wind, solar, going north. Coal jobs coal, are not coming. Coal jobs are not coming back. They're, They're going not coming south. back, right. And here's the thing. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to provide opportunity for people? Because put all the BS aside of your war on coal and all this. Where is the opportunity? Come in here, clear eyed and say, okay, where's the opportunity? I'm the president. I'm the deal maker. What areas of the economy are growing? 3D printing, additive manufacturing, wind, solar. These things are all going north. They're pretty good jobs, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year. Unless you get technical expertise, they could be higher. So how do we grow those areas of the economy so that you can get the middle class back, which is what you promised? 
this goes against everything, and I think it's starting to sink into a lot of people. Well, it, so what kind of a reception will this get in the House? Uh, is this a Republicans just going to jump on board? This is this is what we've been waiting for. To I got to tell you, this is this is their dream budget. I mean, this is Mick Mulvaney's budget. I was yeah. served on the budget committee with Mick for at least four years, maybe six. And this is their budget. This is the Tea Party budget. Cut, cut, cut. Nothing the government does is good. It's a waste of money, and we just need to cut it. And so I think this is a Paul Ryan-style budget. And so, I mean, normally what the president's budget is the, what the president wants, and it doesn't always that's doesn't resemble what finally passes a House. That's what I was getting at. But yeah. this one you think is something Republican leadership uh, uh, is going to say— Right in tune with what we want. I think a lot of it. I think, um, you know, so Hal Rogers from Kentucky, he's going to have an issue with the cuts in Appalachia, the regional mm. commission there. Yeah. I think a lot of the foreign policy, you know, intelligentsia oh. uh, here in Congress is going to say deep cuts to the State Department not going to work, which is bad strategy anyway. I mean, you, you know, you yeah. can't bomb everything and fix the problems. So I think like a couple of things like that will get fixed. But I think for the most part, there are going to be big cuts. And um, and then, you know, people are going to suffer. This is but this is this is who they voted for. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there today who are saying, you know, look, this is not the budget. The president's budget is dead on arrival. That's how it works all the time. John Cornyn tweeted out every budget that a president has put forward has been mm -hmm. dead on arrival because once they get work done. But. I don't trust. No, I don't trust them. Well, the difference—not even a little I mean, bit. Look at Trump. The difference between rhetoric and reality. So these guys are, I think, now are trying to separate themselves a little bit from Trump, and they don't want to be identified with them. And the budget is a good opportunity to do that. But you got to ask yourself if you're an independent voter, and I know, you know, obviously where your crowd is and our crowd here on your show. But if you're an independent voter and you look at this, you think, wait a minute, you're cutting community development block grant money to communities who are trying to do economic development. I mean, we do this all the time in Youngstown, Akron. It's like you need community development block grant money. You need money for the police and fire because the tax base has eroded in the local community. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there, there's a reason these programs exist. It's like, why does Medicare exist? Because no insurance company will provide health care to senior citizens because they're sick. Right. They get sick. And so you need a, a governmental program to come in and intervene. And again, those are the programs that are going to help either people climb out of poverty or communities do development to get a tax base back in their local community. Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio's 13th Congressional District here in the studio with us on this uh, Tuesday morning. Congressman, the Washington Post this morning leading with another bombshell on the, uh, uh, the Russian, possible Russian-Trump collusion connection, whatever the investigation is reporting that Donald Trump not only asked um, then-FBI Director James Comey to drop the investigation, but he also called the head of the NSA and the, head of the, and the Director of National Intelligence, both of them it, it gave separate calls, and asked them to come out publicly and say there is no collusion, was never any collusion at all, between the Trump people and my people and, and, and the Russian government. So, like, it's, it's like a third evidence of a third attempt to cover up yeah. uh, any investigation. Yeah. 
Where's this all? Is this serious in your mind? And where does it all go? I think it's very serious. I thought when he fired uh, Comey, that to me was a major violation. Um, you know, I hear guys like Alan Dershowitz on TV defending his ability as president to be able to do pretty much whatever he wants. I mean, he can pardon people, and so this is like an advanced pardon. Just stop the investigation, <laughs> or you know. But when it's an investigation into the president, into the presidency, I think it has to take on some kind of different legal tone than normally something's going on that has no connection to you. Yeah, and you say, right. well, sure. that, that, that's a waste of money. I want to focus on terrorism with the FBI. I don't want you to focus on white collar crime, whatever. And you don't know the guy or the people, whatever. That's one thing. But when it's coming to you, that's a whole different ballgame. And I think the evidence is built and it just shows how juvenile the president can be like with a just completely lacking an understanding of like this may be wrong so he's either ignorant of the fact that this is a pretty big deal or he doesn't care in either way it's a black eye against the administration and i tell you you know you you look at nsa you look at cia you look at uh, the guys at the professionals at the fbi you look at mueller these are straight shooters, mm-hmm. you know. These are good people. They're in it for the right reason, you know, and they they, they go by the book. Uh, and the thing about Comey, if I could just say, when he denied it at the press conference the other day, did you or did you not? And he said, nope. Next question. You can not like Comey. You can have be a Hillary fan and say this was wrong. He, But yeah. Comey in his heart felt like he had to do it. Even the disagreement within the FBI, some people said, no, no way he should have done that. He felt like he had to, for whatever reason. We could disagree with him. Comey's not a liar. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's not a liar. He's not going to lie. He's got too much integrity on both sides of the aisle. You know, what he did with Ashcroft and that whole deal with the for, uh, second uh, Bush administration, the Hillary thing. He, he felt like he was doing what was right, as much as I disagreed with it, and you probably disagreed with it. So to call, you know, Donald Trump calling Jim Comey a liar. Now, which side are you on? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. if you're two kids, if you're a teacher and two kids come in and this kid tells the truth all the time and this guy has had real problems with the truth, who are you going to believe? And right. I think, you know, Comey wins that battle hands down. And the other news uh, this morning related uh, is that Donald Trump is um, interviewing uh, outside lawyers. He is hiring outside counsel. Um, I mean, how much closer to Nixon can he get, yeah. right? Yeah. You've got an investigation. He tries to shut it down, and now he's hiring outside lawyers to represent him. Yeah. yeah uh, it's it's. I wasn't around for the whole Watergate thing. I've watched enough documentaries on it and movies and whatnot, but it's just it, – what's sad about it is – it's really it just gets frustrating because the rest of the world is is moving with their economy you know i mean china's pumping tens of billions of dollars into additive manufacturing and the next generation look at russia you know i mean this is why russia wanted to create this mess look it's yeah. paralyzing our democracy it's paralyzing the republic this is exactly why but they're moving you know, into the and uh, to the Arctic areas, looking for oil and gas. They're being very aggressive, obviously in Ukraine and some of these other areas. China's posturing in the South China Sea. They're building islands, for God's sake. We have Syria and all the, but look at the chaos that is now created. You know, America can't be the kind of leader that it needs to be. He can go to Saudi Arabia all he wants and dance around with a sword. It's not going to change the fact that that we are 
getting paralyzed here because of his immaturity, and it's it's impeding our ability to get our economy moving. In terms of where the, all of this leads, uh, you know, your colleague, uh, and he was here in studio, by the way, on Friday, uh, Congressman Al Green from mm -hmm. uh, from Texas. Yeah. Uh, was the first one on the go on the floor of the House and use the word uh, impeachment. Let the impeachment hearings begin. Are we there yet in your mind? I don't think so. I think you got to let you got to let Mueller do his job. I think the the worst thing we could do as Democrats as a party is go out there and just start screaming uh, impeachment. I love Al Green. I mean, he's a, he's a great guy, and I respect him a lot, and I I feel his frustration. But I think for us, the best thing to do is, and as someone who's trained legally, you've got to let this just play out. And sometimes you can get impatient with that, but it's got yeah. to play out. The case, like you said, the case keeps getting built. Mm -hmm. So why start today when you know in maybe three days there's going to be other heads of agencies that are going to say, hey, he called me too. And you know, and now all of a right. sudden this case starts building to where you may not need to do impeachment. It <laughs> yeah, may just be right. a Nixon thing. So I'd rather have that. Yeah. Sir, you need to step aside as opposed to a long, drawn-out process. Did you serve in the Congress with Mike Pence? I did. Yeah. Yeah, for a term or two. Yeah. Maybe more than that. When did he go to become governor? I'm, no. As you can I'm tell, we clear. weren't, like, hanging out a lot <laughs> together. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I remember him being around. And no, I was just wondering whether you, uh, if, how well you might know him because, obviously— you know, where people talking about, well, maybe we, we, we're we going to get rid of Donald Trump. But then you've got a Mike Pence stepping in who mm. could be more dangerous. Straight, straight line conservative, hardcore Tea Party right down the line. I mean, he, he, he wrecked Indiana. I mean, yeah. you know, he wrecked Indiana. Their economy was terrible. Uh, they they had health, public health issues. In the Probably southern. could not have gotten reelected. No, he, he talked about getting a lifeline. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was he was getting deep six because of the way he right. handled the economy, the way he handled issues on tolerance with the LGBTQ community, um, with NCAA. If you remember that whole scenario of, you know, not siding and being tolerant of gay businesses. And that affected the NCAA, oh, yeah. which is located yeah. in Indianapolis. And they do a ton of tournaments there, Final Fours and all that. And uh, and so he was he was on his way out. And if he gets in you know, our friends in labor, like if you want to talk about construction trades, Davis mm -hmm. Bacon, project labor agreements, all of these things that are oh, yeah. union friendly, high wage uh, uh, workers. He's a right to work guy straight down the line. Trump kind of danced around it. Yeah, I hire union guys when I have to if it's in New York yeah, or wherever. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know? right, right. If you make yeah. me. Not if I don't have right. to. Yeah. And, but Pence is straight down the line anti-union. Mm -hmm. You know, and so. maybe more effective because of his time in Congress and you know buddy buddies with yeah I think with, he would uh, work Pence with I mean these guys R love Ryan him. I mean with Ryan and the others him and Ryan yeah. are very close right you know one other thing that uh, Donald Trump talked about as a candidate right he was going to go out and he was going to end NAFTA trash it yeah drink it <laughs> now it seems that he's going to maybe try to mend it not end it or yeah. now I mean this is a big issue. Obviously, in your district, yeah. you know, um, uh, with these with these trade agreements. So, how do you see this whole NAFTA renegotiation? Well, when it, when I look at the letter that his people sent to Congress, it was it was very much soft step in his rhetoric on the campaign trail. Worst deal ever. I'm going to rip it up. You know, <laughs> then you get a letter from 
uh, Secretary of Treasury or whatever, and it's like, well, we got to, you know, there's a few things we need to change here. Now, you, you run into the problem that these supply chains have been integrated over the last 25 years. That, that really complicates things between mm-hmm. our countries, mm-hmm. but they are, there are still, the way it was written, there are still benefits. Supply that, chains meaning parts coming in from Mexico? Yeah, I mean, so we had in Warren, Ohio, which is just mm-hmm. north of Youngstown, auto uh, manufacturer, we had a, a General Motors factory, and then we had the supplier. It was Delphi. It started out as Packard Electric, the Packard Brothers, the Packard Car. Yeah. yeah. So that was a spinoff of their business. Literally moved the factories over the border to Mexico and shipping the product back. I mean, my, my cousin worked there. His last act was to unbolt the machine from the floor, put it in a box, and I think uh, he shipped it to either Mexico or China. Last hmm. act. Yeah. Like these guys well, would go down to Mexico and train workers that were yeah. going to take their jobs. So, so that's yeah. that's where people, I think, feel the NAFTA thing. But that supply chain has gotten integrated. But there's still cheating going on. I mean, our wages are down. Mexican workers' wages are down. So something needs to needs to be done. Uh, and I'm not confident that they're going to do it. But we're going to try to hold his feet to the fire. If I could say one thing, trade is a part of this. Automation is the next big thing that we got to start talking about as a party. I think the party that can figure out how to really deal with the issue of automation, because a lot of these jobs, it's not trade-related necessarily. It's automation. And these guys tell me that. They t- this machine took my job. I mean, it was like I used to do X, Y, and Z, and now it's done by a robot. Um, and so the party that figures that out, how we're going to get people back to work, get the wages up, secure pensions, benefits, and all that kind of bread and butter stuff, is the party that's going to be successful. And it's already here, as you point out. It's a lot of ways it's here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, it is huge. I'm just not sure what the answer is because when they talk about bringing these jobs or bringing these businesses back, right, which means bringing these jobs back, no, it doesn't necessarily because a lot Mm -hmm. of these quote-unquote jobs are machines doing them now. Yeah. And then you get into the whole area we've talked about here on the show uh, the wife of Congressman Elijah Cummings, Maya Rockamore, right? Is that yep, her name? Dr. Yeah. Maya Rockamore. Dr. Maya Rockamore is, uh, this is her expertise, is driverless trucks and cars. Mm-hmm. And particularly, wow. think of the Teamsters, for example. Totally. You know, uh, the, the, the loss of jobs, totally. potential loss of jobs totally. on that is huge. Yeah, the top job in 28 states is trucking. Trucking, yeah. And so, what can you do about that? I mean, you can't. You can't stop it, right? That yeah. movement, yeah. Or can you? I don't no. know. Well, I you know. I so don't... then you pay pay the people who still have jobs. You have to create different kinds of jobs for those people who are who are displaced. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you need a plan. We talked a little bit about it last time. I mean, you don't want to stop the ingenuity, the innovation, because if you don't do it yeah. here, it's going to happen somewhere else. And there's a lot of wealth that's generated there. The key is how do you get it spread across the country. We're doing some things in Youngstown to try to get Silicon Valley companies to locate in Youngstown, you know, and uh, and they're doing it. And we've got, you know, we'll have some announcements coming in the next few months. But I think, you know, you got two segments of society. You got, I'd say, 50 and older that steel workers, coal miners, guys that worked in mills, drive trucks, whatever the case may be. What are we going to do to get those people back to work? And Mm -hmm. I think there are two or three things laying broadband. Jobs can't be outsourced. Fifty-five bucks an hour they're paying people to lay Google Fiber up in New York. Pretty good job. Yeah, yeah. That needs to happen everywhere in the country so you can unlock the potential in East Liverpool, Ohio, and Youngstown, Ohio, and Appalachia. And then two is the grid. 
our grid needs totally our energy grid totally updated it's inefficient oh, yeah. it's Perfect. it's it's not secure and again a job that can't be outsourced and if you look at what's happening in the energy industry a lot of the people linemen for example at first energy what was it the graduation they got a whole new program very old workforce so there's jobs opening up in the energy field and then you have the green energy. You got wind and solar and the manufacturing that comes with that. So one, two, three, if we say nationally, how do we lay broadband all over the country? How do we fix our grid all over the country? And how do we plug in wind and solar and get that energy from South Dakota to in Indianapolis or wherever? We can put people back to work that are 50 and, and get them to retirement. And if you drop Medicare down to 55 or 50, they got health care. They got a good job. They're going to get themselves into retirement. And they have purpose because this is going to change the trajectory of the country for their kids. If everybody got broadband, if we got a smart grid that talks to your mm -hmm. appliances in your home so you can wash your clothes at the lowest rate possible and bring your overhead costs down and efficiency in your home. And then you got 22 to, you know, 49. Then you got to talk retraining. You got to talk construction trades, rebuilding the country, roads, bridges, high-speed rail. You get those people to work, and then you're then you're figuring. Now, now we got to figure out what to do yeah. <laughs> with, the, with and, the next generation. And maybe if we got that uh, promised trillion dollars in infrastructure, somebody spent. promised that. <laughs> I cannot remember. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing to be found on that thing. We haven't heard Crickets. a peep about that since November eighth. I mean, right? can you imagine what would have happened if Donald oh. Trump came to Congress and the first thing he said at his inaugural address, yes. "We're going to do a trillion dollar infrastructure bill." I'm going to have Davis Bacon in there. We're going to take care of our union friends. We're going to rebuild the country. <laughs> and, 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 as, and that's our first priority. Imagine yeah. he would be soaring right yeah. now, right, yeah. with popular support and everything. Yeah. Which, yeah. which brings me to the basic lesson of after 12 years of Catholic school, love your enemy. Thank God. Ryan. Hey. Got into there. All right, we got Ooh, it. it. Thanks so much, Congressman. Great to see you. Have a good day, folks. This see you tomorrow. Is the Bill Press Show. The parting shot with Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, you know, they say you can tell a lot about a person by the company that he keeps. Well, take a look at the people that Donald Trump has recently invited to the White House. Most recently, it was President Erdogan of Turkey, who's arrested over 100,000 political dissidents and has jailed more journalists than any other country on the planet. And while he was here in Washington, his thugs beat up protesters in the streets of Washington. Erdogan followed President al-Sisi of Egypt, whom President Obama wouldn't even let in the White House because he has the worst human rights record of any country in the Middle East. Uh, Trump called him actually a fantastic guy. It was at Mar-a-Lago, not the White House, that Trump uh, entertained President Xi, Xi of China. Uh, the New York Times reporting that President Xi has murdered 18 to 20 CIA operatives uh, in China. Trump said he was a tremendous person. Trump was also invited to the White House. Philippine President Duterte, whose goons have killed over 7,000 suspected drug users or suppliers. And Trump even said that he'd be honored to meet with Kim Jong-un, 
who, of course, Donald Trump considers, quote, a smart cookie. And next month, Trump is going to meet with Vladimir Putin, whom he has praised constantly as a strong leader. Yes, welcome to the Trump White House, criminals and thugs to the head of a line. One thing we know for sure by the company he keeps, Donald Trump hearts strong men. This is The Bill Press Show. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.